and that's actually where like I think my downward spiral started, right? Because I, in that that moment, I actually went to a bar with another coworker, and you know we were talking of like both of us like mortgaged our careers, so to speak, for this, and then we realized that you know there's there's nothing here, right? It's like you know, the emperor has no clothes. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it six months total and we'll see what happens. And it really just just kind of kept going downhill from there. And I think that's where, you know, for me, the struggle that I had, like going back to, and I've, I've since evolved from this, but like back then, like I was just so focused on like career for self-actualization that I like had a lot of self-hatred. It was just, it was very hard. I don't think, I'm not a negative person, but I think in that moment, like I was more negative than I've ever been in my whole life. Hey everyone, welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Thank y'all so much for coming back for another episode. We are rounding out season five. Still so incredible to me that we've been able to talk to 30 guests now, which is wonderful and exciting. And I hope y'all that are listening or maybe some new listeners have found someone to connect with and maybe not feel so alone. So thank you if you've checked us out. Thank you if you've rated, reviewed, subscribed on Apple Podcasts. Please go to Spotify and give us five stars if you feel so inclined, because now that also matters on Spotify. Everything's about ratings, and we really only want the five stars. Anything less, you can DM me and talk to me about it. Uh, So for today's episode and our last guest of season five, I have a new friend to introduce y'all to, a longer friend of my partner Josh's, but new friend to me. So for today's episode, we have our friend Alex Allen. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Super appreciate it. Yes. Alex is living in beautiful Denver, Colorado. So he is not here with us in Raleigh, North Carolina to have this podcast episode. So we are recording virtually. So I really want to thank Alex for taking his Sunday to sit in his closet and record with us today. Yeah, totally not a problem. And uh, ex-Southerner living in Colorado, which is yes, fun. Yes, ex-Southerner. Yeah. Yes, which you'll have to tell us a little bit more about. So let me give y'all a quick introduction, and then I'll let Alex tell us a little more about himself. So by day, Alex leads product strategy for the Open Table app, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with. And by night, he's a competitive volleyball player. The latter would be surprising to people who Alex grew up with, uh, because sometimes you will discover what you love most later in life, which I can 100% attest to as a newborn yoga student that does yoga every day. And um, I also never hiked a day in my life until I think Josh and I started dating. So I can 100% relate to that too. Um, At this point in Alex's life, he is where he wants to make everyday moments better for people, which is definitely why he's in product management, but also why he loves doing pro bono work through Rocky Mountain Microfinance Institute, as well as Taproot. Alex would say his most interesting fun fact since COVID started is that he actually raged a Twitter war in a successful change.org petition against Deepak, which is located in Durham, North Carolina, to help people get their refunds after the venue was shut down from the pandemic, which I think is fascinating because I don't know if Josh told you this, Alex specifically talking to you, that we were the last Les Mis show before they got canceled. So That's we went to the for, Thursday was, night was show. Mis. That's so crazy. Okay, yeah. so we'll have to talk more about totally. that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Alex made a little note for his bio to be like, and to think I thought Twitter was mostly useless, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's clearly served something so amazing. Um, but we'll get more into that in a second. And when Alex is not trolling businesses on Twitter, he can be found playing volleyball or hiking the beautiful state of Colorado. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, you'll have to tell us a little bit more about the experience with the change.org petition because we went to Les Mis March, what was it, 13th or something? It was a Thursday? Yeah, it was something like that. And we like were that. the last show before they canceled it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's actually like kind of related to what we had thought about maybe even discussing. But um, the way it kind of got started is, you know, back in February, when there was this thing called COVID, and it was allegedly over in China, we weren't sure like how big it was going to be. I got like wildly sick um, in, in Durham, North Carolina, actually, and ended up getting pneumonia, uh, even though I never the an- antibody tests were like too, you know, uh, inaccurate back then. But you know, we're pretty yeah. certain that, you know, I actually had COVID. And um, that, you know, basically the March timeframe was right when the governor had shut down, you know, all the indoor gatherings over like 50 people. And, you know, Deepak yes. easily qualifies for, for over 50 it's people. It's huge. Yeah, I, mean, I exactly. remember going to the show and Josh and I both being like, what is going to happen at this show? Like we were a little nervous about going to Deepak. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about it being like a super spreader opportunity, 100 percent. And the way that it ended up happening is I kind of just started with, hey, like, I just had pneumonia. I don't feel okay going because I'm still recovering from it. You know, can we have our money back? And Deepak was like hard and fast, like, no way, not happening. And it's like, that's a little Even weird. Even though they were going to cancel their shows. Well, so they hadn't decided to cancel it yet. That was the whole thing. Yeah, okay. So at one point they were actually going to go through and just say, like, it's up to you to come. Even though like the governor actually had said no way. And fun fact, like the city of Durham actually has a stake in Deepak. Um, and so the, you know, the oh. piece I was kind of giving them is like, you know, politically, you're actually telling people to stay home, but because you want to make money, you're actually saying, no, you should, you should totally come. Uh, and that, that was actually the part that I had a really interesting, like, I think, tr- hard time rationalizing. And so the way it got started is I literally had never had Twitter before this, um, just because I think it's like just so full of like hate and all this. And basically, it's like also I, overwhelming. Like, oh, I think oh, I've yeah. said this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have said this on every podcast that I'm always like, follow us on social media, but not Twitter because I don't have a Twitter, nor do I ever plan to have one. I get on there and I'm like, I don't understand this format. What am I reading? How do you get witty in like 80 characters or less? Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. I, I need, I'm like way more verbose for, for tweets I've decided <laughs> to. So that's another issue. But the way I kind of like validated, you know, hey, are other people running into this was, you know, they don't really have a big like social following in terms of, like Instagram and stuff. Like they do for pictures, but it's hard to find like people's stories yeah. and comments. But yeah. everybody, when they have an issue, for some reason, they go to Twitter and they tweet the company. And if you went that's to That's really deep, true. I yeah. feel like you get more traction that way on Twitter. You do. I think it's because it's like Twitter is known for like Trump and then trolls and then customer service issues. Like I feel like that's like <laughs> the three reasons why you want to use Twitter. Yes. And yes. if you actually went to Deepak's uh, Twitter page or profile during this time, like there were just hundreds of people being like, hey, like I just got diagnosed with cancer. I probably shouldn't go to this or, you know, but, um, you know, hey, like we just are recovering from like having the flu. Like I probably shouldn't go to this. And like Deepak was basically saying, no, we're not going to give anybody money back. And so that's when I was like, this, this is kind of like, you know, effed up in a way, um, yeah. especially when you think about, hey, your own government is saying limit your, your, you know, exposure and like the number of people you're around. But like, yeah, just like, like your state s- government and your local government. Yeah, like yeah. The, Durham is one of the strictest cities in North yeah. Carolina for COVID regulations. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so the, the way I decided this, I was like, we well, you know there's this thing called change.org. And again, like, I, I know you hear stories about it, but I was like, ah, oh, this, this isn't going to go The number of change.org petitions I have signed, I could, couldn't even count. Oh, I yeah, sign I'm them all pretty- the time. I'm pretty sure I'd never signed one until this. But, but really? Um, oh my gosh. Well, I'm the forgive student loan change.org person. So oh, I'm the one that. that's like constantly, yeah. even if it never happens, I'm like, I'm just going to sign them all. I'll sign it. Yeah. Perfect. And so uh, I made one, you know, and I think like at first I posted it on my Facebook, which like, you know, all whopping like 80 people that I like connect <laughs> with on Facebook um, yes. and like, you know, the 50 on Instagram because social is just like not my thing. And of course that was going nowhere. And so I decided like, what's a way to make this go viral? And I was like, well, you know, I can just 
troll the heck out of Deepak. And so I set up Twitter. And so any hashtag that had Deepak in it, I would just look at the tweets. And so it was like several hundred tweets a day. And I just started commenting like, hey, this is like a cool story. Share it on this change.org page, sign it, and then share it with your people. And we ended up getting like within like a week, like several hundred people, it was like 500 people like signed on or something, which is still like in the grand scheme of things, like not a lot, but it was enough to where- for a small, tiny thing, like that's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. And so it was enough to where Deepak contacted me actually. I don't even know how they got my, my phone number, but they did. So they contacted me and it was, uh, yeah, it was the general manager of um, Deepak. And it was like dealing with the mafia because uh, (laughs) he offered to give me my money back and said, hey, like, yeah, we're so sorry about your story. We'll we'll totally refund it for you. Uh, But you need to take down your change.org petition. And I said, well, sure. Are you going to refund everybody else's? And uh, he was like, They're no. They're basically saying like, we'll, for, we'll pardon you yeah, yeah, because you're stirring the pot and yeah. causing a ruckus, but like, we need you to stop doing that. Yeah. And it was tempting, but like, I think the reason why I really did this was that, you know, I, to be like honest, like didn't need the money back, right? Like that wasn't kind of my focus here. My focus was More like, like after I started reading these people's yeah. stories, I was like, this is not okay. Um, you should cancel these and you should give people their refunds. Like that's the right thing to do from like, a community standpoint because of COVID and just, you know, all these other reasons. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I was like, I'm going to send this to WRAL. So I packaged it up, so submitted something to like five on your side. And within like 24 hours. Oh, I love hours, them, right? They're like so intense, five yeah, on your side. They are. Like the, sh- yeah. the TV show is like, dun, dun, dun. Like that. Oh yeah. It, it, it was like that. We, um, we actually went to Deepak <laughs> and then uh, so the, the, they contacted me. They wanted to meet, went to Deepak. Deepak wouldn't answer uh, the doors to like talk not. to them or anything. It was like, it was very interesting. Like they were totally hiding from this controversy. That's so crazy. Um, and so we filmed our thing and uh, I shared with them some of the stories that people were talking about or whatever. And uh, basically Debrielle was like, Hey, we'll air the story at 5 PM tonight. Like just before the last lay mess showing. Um, and Deepak's like, no, so what we're was not that, like on cancel. a Sunday or something. It was like a Sunday or Monday or something like yeah. that. Um, uh-huh. there was like a six 30 showing or seven, whatever times it was. Yeah. And, uh, Deepak didn't. And so they aired the story and five minutes later, they, they canceled all the remaining ones and then, uh, refunded everybody. And Holy so, uh, so it's just cool because, you know, like, you know, 3,500 people got their money back, not just a credit, yeah. but got their money back. Tons of people, you know, flooded in like on the change.org petition just with how they felt safer. They weren't scared to like this one lady legitimately. I think she had she had just got diagnosed with cancer and started chemo. And she's like, I need this money now to like pay for that. And I don't want to like be at risk of, of COVID and then like just it's be like out, a double like, whammy grand. for her. Yeah. yeah. So it's just really cool to see like, you know, people, you know, taken care of. And it's, I, I think I would never go to a show at DPEC again just because of that whole scenario. Wow. Like so. principally, you're like, I don't feel good about going. Yeah, not at all. So uh, that's a really important story. And I think, thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. And I can't believe we'd never even thought about that. We, we've been to two more shows at Deepak since then, mm, okay. at, least one, yeah. at least one show. Yeah. Um, but I like had no idea that that, that, that even happened because we had gotten to go. So like, I didn't yeah. even think about it after that. And I, I'm sure Josh had had, you had talked to him clearly and he just didn't think to tell me, but that's so interesting. Well, and then two, um, what was I about to say with, Oh, and then, because then the following week is when everything really shut down. Exactly. Like in yeah. Raleigh, like the yeah. schools, you know, Raleigh-Durham, like the schools shut down, everything else shut down. So y- your change.org petition and your, like you said, trolling on Twitter <laughs> was kind of this catalyst, right? I mean, you took on, Deepak is small in comparison to these much larger corporations, let's say, but as you said, it has a huge impact on the community and the yeah. 
city of Durham. Well, you know, that's actually interesting. Like, that's something I learned a lot about Deepak during this time that I, I didn't know if I knew. So the city of Durham has the stake in them, but they're actually owned by this giant conglomerate of oh, theater groups from like up in New York, I think, or, or some, some like mainline city. I don't know, know the exact one, but um, yeah. it's like very clear uh, that it, it just has like a little bit of like a sleazy management vibe, I would say. Uh, you know, Ugh, I think it's, it's so unfortunate, unfortunate that the city is also yeah. involved in that, but yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, again, capitalism, right? I think I've talked about that on the last like three episodes of just how money is making yeah, exactly. making the world go round. And it's a really unfortunate reality that we yeah, live 100%. in. Well, that's amazing. This was your five minutes of fame, if not longer, <laughs> on five on your side, yeah, totally which I think is really minutes, cool. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. You You and Josh know each other from state. So you were in Raleigh at one point. Yeah, I was in Raleigh. In fact, we worked together for a really long time when we were at uh, GSK and then had gone to yep. NC State and all that stuff. And we were, I was uh, basically from Raleigh, Carolina born and bred, had a short stint in Philadelphia. And then uh, during COVID actually moved out to Denver, Colorado, where I've been for a little bit nice. more than like a year and a half now. So, Yeah. was So it's almost like instead of it being the flood of the West to the East, you went from East to the Midwest. Right, exactly. And all yeah. of the price hikes and everything that come with it. But luckily, Colorado is, is a beautiful state, um, especially Denver. Yes. So it's been a, a very fun experience. And there's been so much of the rest of the country that I've gotten to explore that, you know, I had never been to before, like Utah, like Utah is easily an otherworldly state to visit. It's just so beautiful in terms of the scenery and all that there is to do there. So I love that. Yeah, I'm very jealous. Jealous is not the right word. I'm envious. I would love to go to Utah. <laughs> Um, the far I've been to California, but that's the only state I've been to in the West. Otherwise, oh, gotcha. I've never yeah. been past like Kentucky, Tennessee. That's yeah, I highly recommend gone. Utah. Like even Salt Lake itself is gorgeous, but just the national yeah. parks in and around it. Um, we we went to Zion, did like the Angels <gasps> Landing Amazing. hike, and all this. It was it was fantastic. So that's awesome. Yeah. So you went to state, then you said small stint in Philadelphia, then went out to Colorado, and then it sounds like that's where you found your new passion of being a volleyball player. Or did you start that here? Yeah, well, I, I dabbled with it um, in North Carolina a little bit, like probably like a yeah. year or two before COVID actually, you know, uh, happened. And but it was like kind of like small, like it's like volleyball in the Carolinas, or at least like where we're at in Raleigh, Durham, is like kind of small. There's like one or two leagues, maybe. It's just kind of all over the place. But Denver, yeah, you it's don't like hear a, about it as much here. Yeah, it, it's like the equivalent of like Major League Baseball in Denver. I feel like, like there, there's literally so many leagues everywhere. It's like a big, big event. There's, and when I say so many leagues, there's probably like easily four or five every night of the week that you could sign up wow. for. Yeah, it's very intense, which is, is do cool. Do you play it's outside like, or inside? We do both. We do um, okay. sand. Uh, there's a grass one during the summer that I like. And then right now, since it's so cold, we're doing uh, indoor. <laughs> Ice volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new sport you can come up with. Um, that's awesome. What led you, did you play sports in high school? No, I didn't. That's why I think most people would would be really surprised. I did golf. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of like a, like a joke. I feel like when you're in high school, maybe I don't know. But <laughs> um, and so it was something that I I've always like kind of liked it. I feel like if I was ever going to play a sport, you know, that would have been it. And so um, when we started it in, in Durham, I was like, oh, this is like really fun. And then Colorado was just like a new level in terms of um, the different people you can meet and different ways you can learn to play. Yeah. And it's just so much easier to get better because you're just like it's literally everywhere 24 seven. Uh, and well, so what that's a good kinda, way to meet people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So some leagues are a little more intense than, you know, my taste. Like there's this one team we played one time um, and they actually would do push-ups after every serve that they messed what? up. And so, you know, probably not like friend potential, you know, for, for us. <laughs> You're like, uh, mm, but, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. But you do play some people that are great, which has been nice. Like I actually 
I signed up for one of the the leagues here and, and just like as like a free agent and actually got matched with five other people that had no idea who anyone else was. And we became really good friends. We're now in like an ongoing that. team. It's been really cool. So that is really cool. And like, what are the chances of that? But now you all went through this experience together, this first time experience together. So it brought you closer together. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's, it's that's kind of where, you know, to me, like you mentioned, like everyday experiences, but like, that's definitely something that I like. So whether it's like my day to day work, or like trying to figure out how a group can have a lot of fun, or how people can join a group, I think is like really a great opportunity. So yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about if you can what you do for work now. Yeah. So um, if you've ever used the open table app, so I, I work on that and I basically kind of lead some of the like strategy behind that. So in other words, the different features you might see, the way that the mm-hmm. app kind of like looks and feels, um, and even kind of helping with seeing about what type of restaurants might be on it. But that's like more of like an actual business development team. But I've certainly like helped on features that are like, you know, more beneficial to certain restaurants than others. Um, and really so I've really neat. loved that. I've been doing that for about a year now. And the reason why, like, it sounds like very cliche, but it's true. You know, if if uh, you and I didn't speak the same language, uh, we could have a total bonding moment over like a really good meal and not, not something that's like some fancy Michelin star restaurant, but just a place that we really like that has just fun food, great vibes. Like that can be a moment that's like very memorable and you don't need language. You don't need like anything else to help support it. And so to me, like dining really helps people experience kind of the world around them. And so that's why I love working on uh, the open table app. I love that. I mean, it's such a necessary way. Why do I want to say this? It's a nece- it's a necessity of life and it brings people together. So why not have a way to do both of that? Because we all need to eat and most people like food. I mean, I think like 90% of us really like to eat food, right? So, I mean, like you said, it's a universal experience to eat together. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm definitely the type who um, I live to eat versus like eats to live. So eats to live. Uh, it's yep. very much food. Food is my, my passion for sure. Yes. I have a friend whose husband... Uh, I wonder if she'll be able to guess that I'm talking about her in this episode (laughs) if she listens. But she has told me before that he can literally live off peanut butter and jelly for the rest of his life. I mean, good. I mean, just peanut butter is hard to eat. Well, that's true. But she's (laughs) like, he has has no like. He likes good food, but like doesn't really care. Isn't going to put a ton of effort into it. He would be fine if that's what he had to live off of. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Yeah, I'd be so bored in like two days. I don't need like fancy food, but like, you know, there's, there's something about like eating your favorite pizza or like going and getting that really good steak dinner out or just really whatever, even like fun cocktails at like a cool bar, like, you yeah. know, Fox's in downtown Raleigh or something is really, really Absolutely. special. Well, I mean, this is just more backing for why Queer Eye has Antony because food is so important as a big aspect of your life, right? Yeah, you know, I, I do. Lo- I love Queer Eye. Anthony is uh, he? He's my least favorite Queer Eye guy, but I, I do yeah. love, love them all. Yeah, he, he's a little pretentious. I feel like I don't know, maybe not. I can see it. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I hear I hear everyone's opinions about who's their favorite. That's not that's not the first time I've heard that Anthony's the least favorite. Yeah, he launched this T-shirt line for some company, and I was like, oh, I'll buy that T-shirt. And then I went on, and it was like two hundred dollars, and I was like, I will not buy what? that T-shirt. <laughs> Why? Uh, what is it made I, I out of? Well, and it, it had this little phrase. He said it was like. How, what describes his personality and the phrase was oh. I'm aloof or something and I was like oh this this all makes sense now so this makes sense now right yeah, yeah. did you watch the new season yet of Queer Eye? I haven't no my um the okay. show that I that's been dominating my time is Ted Lasso and so uh that we is just, had to literally only watch one episode at a time to make it drag out as long as possible oh it's so great yeah it just it's so all, all the feels every episode and so we uh we, we discovered it late in life so we literally just started it a couple weeks ago at the very beginning <gasps> so yeah yeah. Drag it out because I don't think we'll get another season till the summer. 
Oh yeah, we. I'm very bad with impulse control, so we we've already finished it. <laughs> oh, well, never uh, mind then. Well, we yeah, can, yeah. we'll talk about it then. Well, with Queer Eye, there's an episode in the middle of this season where they go to an animal sanctuary, and even though you dislike Anthony from his <laughs> TV personality, you may. I don't know if you're moved by uh, visible emotional disclosure of people on TV, but I very much am, and so I was sobbing the entire episode. I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah, it's, it was very good. But again, I cry in every Queer Eye episode, so this is not like a new thing. But that one really got me. They are very good, so no, no shame in that. They're so good. They're so good. Well, that's awesome about Open Table. I actually haven't used Open Table in a little while. Maybe I need to check it out again. So, you, while yeah. you were in Raleigh, you and Josh knew each other from working at GSK. And then, what else were you doing in Raleigh? Because I know you'd mentioned like you'd work for a startup, and it sounds like you do, you know, some work for. You know, you you like working for good causes, and it sounds like you've got a lot of good principles about what it is that you do for a living. And so I know you'd mentioned a brief story about a time in Durham, speaking of yeah. the same place, where that like wasn't the case for you. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, the the more I've kind of reflected on it, and it certainly isn't the true for everybody, but I'm definitely yeah. someone who gets a lot of um, self satisfaction out of the type of work I do, uh, the job that I have, and again, like you know, that's obviously not like how everybody is. But I think in general, like if you just like zoom out at like 30,000 feet and think about society, that's like kind of the expectation, right? Like one of the first questions you ask when you meet someone you've never seen or met before is what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? Correct. Um, as, as if like the other like 99% of who that person is, like isn't clearly the first thing that comes to your mind, which it, it totally should be that way instead. Right. Um, even like you think about like dating apps, like Bumble, Tinder, others, the thing they feature prominently is where you went to school and where do you work? Work. Uh, because yeah, that's again, your whole identity now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I think like whether you as an individual, like a collective, you believe that or not, um, there is clearly like a lot of expectation on like what you do. Are you happy at your job? If you're not happy, it must be your fault. Things like that. Yeah. And I just don't think that's like fundamentally true. And I I would say I had a great time at, at GSK. For I was there for like nearly well, ten sing years. Their praises. Thank you, GSK. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, you know, I kind of decided I wanted to like move away from that and, and and do something like a little different. Like it kind of felt like a safe career, if that made sense. Yeah. And the more I kind of started paying attention to it, I'd see people that were like VPs, senior directors, like really high up, like wildly intelligent and accomplished individuals. But one thing in pharma that happens a lot is there's always like pretty big like layoffs and restructures. And I'd yeah, see for these... people who don't remind me again, for people who don't know what GSK is. Oh, sure. Do a yeah. brief so, like synopsis of what G- GSK is. So uh, GSK, so it's one of the larger pharma companies. Nobody hate me for that. I promise it's not it's not as bad as it sounds all the time. But no. um, basically, GSK is the maker of like Aquafresh, Tums, Nicoderm, Nicorette, as well as like really big um, asthma products that a lot of people use, like yes. Advair, and like the list can keep going on. So it really okay. helps like a lot of therapy areas for people. And that, that was actually what drew it to me was, I had like some health issues from on my side of the family. Like I lost my dad to cancer, lost my mom to mental illness. And so for me, like being in pharma was actually a way to like help other people like not have to experience those things. But we don't have to go go through that. But that's kind of like the history of uh, yeah. GSK. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. We can all envision hopefully the little logo. A little yeah, G, it, a little S, a little It K. looks like a guitar pick, like the, an orange guitar yes. pick. Yeah. Yes. So... You liked GSK. They were a great company, but it felt felt too safe. Yeah, and I'd see people like really high up. There'd be layoffs. They they'd get laid off, and then they'd have a hard time like finding a job actually, because mm-hmm. even though they did really cool and amazing things, it was like in one specific niche of like an industry and a career, right? Like in pharma. Right. And so for me, I was like, you know, I don't want. I definitely don't want to end up there. 
Um, but you I also feel like yourself. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, it's also the only thing I'd ever done. And like, basically, you know, realistically the only like main job I'd ever had. And so I decided to kind of like look at other ways to like help people's every day. Like, cause that's definitely been like a big, big guiding factor for me. And so I found this like really cool startup, uh, actually in the area that did what I would describe as like Uber for public transit. I won't, I won't talk about their name because they're a hundred percent, the startup that would like try to sue you for disparaging them. <laughs> It was a really cool opportunity where they basically did like Uber for public transit. And like the model made a lot of sense. Like, you know, if you think about it, especially now, you know, you go to get an Uber. I don't know what it's like in Raleigh, but in Denver, it can be as much as a hundred bucks to Uber to the airport, um, which is just the most insane. I've seen it here is in the thirties. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's like yeah. cheap now. <laughs> well, but also I have to remember too, like we live 10 miles from the airport, okay, 12 miles from the airport. So it's not that far. I can yeah. imagine for people that come from like Burlington or oh, sure, that'd be crazy. you yeah. know, farther east of here, like Clayton or Rocky Mount, even it, I can absolutely imagine it's hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Well, and, and whether it's even 30 or even a hundred, a, a reason why it matters is there's actually like a huge, not huge, but like, you know, relatively from what you'd think, there's a lot of people who actually rely on Uber and Lyft to get to work um, because mm -hmm. they can't afford a car. Um, right. Or like the bus will only take them, you know, really with like so two far. miles of where right. they need to go, especially like in Raleigh, where, you know, for like a southern city, sure, we have a great public transportation system. So it's nothing against Raleigh. But, you know, when you think about it, it's not as like robust as it needs to be. Right. Oh, um, no, Alex, we'll be honest. Uh, it's pretty trash. Okay. Like our public transit <laughs> system is pretty garbage. Right. In comparison to what we could have looking at other like northern Midwestern yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. places. You know, I'm from Chicago. So like oh, okay. that there whole yeah, yeah, yeah. subway train system isn't yeah. impeccable. It's gotten its own issues. Right. And its own problems. But Raleigh is nothing compared to that. Right. And the reason why it matters is, is like the more robust it is, the greater people's like socioeconomic mobility. Right. And right. And that was, that, that was something that drew me to this company because cities could basically offer their own competitor to like Uber and Lyft. It could be subsidized through all different means. And so instead of like 30 bucks to go, you know, 10 miles, it could be like $3 or like whatever. Oh, right. Wow. And so it was really cool. And so I, I was all in on it um, and decided, you know, that that's kind of what I wanted to do. They were interested yeah. in me. They kind of wanted someone to help them think beyond like the startup realm. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to make this big career bet. And, uh, and by bed, it was, it was, it wasn't just like starting a new company. I took about like a $50,000 pay cut, uh, to go and wow. do this, um, thinking that, you know, I wouldn't do this for the long term, but it would be kind of that pivot of getting into tech, learning new spaces, dealing with like startups. I think we've all seen or heard of like shows like Silicon Valley and stuff. And, you know, definitely is, uh, probably more realistic than, than you might think once you actually work in one. But I, I thought it'd be like a really cool opportunity. And the reason why, you know, I think it was a hard decision to make was it wasn't just me. It was, you know, my partner who's now my husband having to think through, is this going to be okay for us? Like, this is a totally new way we have to adjust to living. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. You just, like you said, 50 K pay cut. That's huge. Yeah. 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 And th that's like, not like base, but it's like your stock and your bonus. Like this company didn't do anything like that. And yeah. I was very blessed to have like a career that, that did pay well. Not that this didn't, but it, you know, it was a huge adjustment. Right. Um, when right. you're like talking about that much. And uh, it was one of those things of, um, you join and it's just like you see on TV or read where it's like, wow, this is like otherworldly in terms of how people treat you in like a really good way. Like I remember my first day I came home and I actually cried because I was like, this is the coolest place I've ever been in my life. This is amazing. And that like very quickly started to deteriorate. And I think it's because I'm not sh sure that all startups are like this, but you know, for me, I, I think I've certainly learned a lot of ways to like investigate um, career moves differently when you're kind of thinking about these smaller companies of how do you avoid that kind of like cult-like following, because that's definitely mm -hmm. what was going on here. And there's, there's like two things that I've realized, which is anytime the CEO has to interview everybody, 
red flag. Like it's almost like yeah. they're like Jesus looking for a disciple to make sure they're going to like fit in. No offense yeah. to anyone. Um, and then I think like the <laughs> second one there is anytime people use the word, we're like a family at work, huge red flag, right? Like definitely not like families are going to well, help you like co-sign oh, yeah. for a loan, get through hard times. Your work coworkers are not going to do those things. <laughs> no. Well, and yeah. I love that you say that because as a clinician who like studies families and does a lot of work within family dynamics and attachment, families are really toxic a lot oh, of the 100%. time and the dynamics within families. So, I mean, it makes you think about again, not to keep going to religious examples, but again, anytime a church says we're like a family, big red flag, right? Oh, because yeah, 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 that means that it potentially means that we haven't looked within ourselves to look at the really unhealthy dynamics that play out in this group of people that we have. Yeah. And if you think about it, like too, like on a, on like an even different level with just like, I think things that we're kind of like coming to terms with in society, it, it I think it like help it prevents people from being their authentic self too, like mm-hmm. at work, which is like really dangerous, right? You have yeah, to like, have Because a lot of us aren't conformity. our authentic selves yeah. at home because yeah, it's not yeah. safe to do that, right? Yeah. Like that's a luxury for a lot of people. And like you said, a blessing yeah. for those that can, but yeah. not all of us are who we truly are alone, who we are with our family. Yeah. So if you go to work and they're like, we're a family here and you're like, Oh, does that mean I have to behave like in the role that I did when I was at home? Yeah. And 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 to that point, like I think that's where I realized, you know, in this moment of uh, how I could answer the question of like how you've been with I've been better. It was definitely at this time because yeah, I'll never forget. It was like four weeks in, we were sitting in our first company all hands, and I kind of had this feeling of like, okay, something's like off, like fundamentally off here. Um, and again, it's like one of those things you just kind of find out once you've like jumped into the water and on the deep end. Uh, but the CEO, then, then CEO, they've been through three CEOs uh, in about three years. Um, and Ooh, so the, the then number CEO, two. <laughs> right. The, the then CEO gave this really interesting presentation about how the company would be $100 million. And so I was very interested in this. And the slide that was his proof point was he took all the glass door ratings of like all the big tech companies. So like Google, Apple, all that kind of stuff. And he took their glass door ratings and matched it to how much they made each year. And of course, these companies have like, you know, okay, glass door ratings, because they're just so big, everybody wants to work there. And he took their glass door rating at this company. And, you know, we basically made like no money, right? Because it's like a startup losing hemorrhaging money like crazy. But our glass door rating was like five stars. And he's like, this is why we'll be a $100 million company. And like, as a business person, uh, you know, my immediate reaction is, I hope this is a joke, because this is, there's no correlation between you know, a glass door rating and making a lot of money. Maybe you oh, can I'm have sitting that, over but, here being like, what? That makes right? no sense. And I <laughs> took no business classes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. See, see, like, I, the rationality, I love it. Like, that's something that I was definitely missing here. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't a joke. They, they were dead serious. And, I, and I, you know, the thing is, is because all these people were conditioned, it was like walking into this occult where they're conditioned like, yeah, no, this is right. Yeah, we're a family. Yeah, that the CEO, our fearless leader, like, is right in this that was like my first red flag. And I was like, okay, I need to get out because this isn't going to work out. Like if that's, if yeah. that's who's steering the ship, if that's what they think. Like, no way. Um, yeah. unfortunately, well, they're also very... like inflating. They're like inflating. Maybe not dreams is not the right word, but what am I trying to say? Like, they're basically telling you this is going to be a hundred million dollar company. And you're like, what? I just took a $50,000 pay cut for you to tell me that that's how you think this is going to work. And it's clearly not going to work that way. Oh, it was like, it was, it was definitely like, you know, that kind of castle in the sky dreams, dreams type thing for sure. Like a little bit of delusional, I would say. Um, yep. And that's actually where like, I think my downward spiral started, right? Because I, in that, that moment, I actually went to a bar with another coworker who was definitely like, this is nuts. Uh, she and I just started around the same time. And, you know, we were talking of like, both of us like mortgaged our careers, so to speak for this. And then we realized that, you know, there's, there's nothing here, right? It's like the emperor has no clothes. Um, and 
I, I couldn't like necessarily leave. I didn't want like one month on my resume and then having jump ship. And so I was like, okay, I'll give sure. it six months total and we'll see what happens. And it really just, just kind of kept going downhill from there. And I think that's where, you know, for me, the struggle that I had, like going back to, and I've, I've since evolved from this, but like back then, like I was just so focused on like career for self-actualization that I like had a lot of self-hatred in terms of like, mm. you know, Hey, I'm like really dumb for, for thinking this or, or like this was going to work out or like not digging deeper or like saying, Hey, like I wanted to pivot careers when I'm like 30, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Um, and it was just, it was very hard. I don't think I'm not a negative person. Um, but I think in that moment, like I was more negative than I've ever been in my whole life. Um, well, they can talk about like toxic, right? Like you, you said you'd never felt this way about yourself or if you had it never been so prominent and dominant and loud. And then you go work this job and you're like, and now I hate myself. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the thing is, is like, I think it was, um, I'm also the type of, I, I kind of like always care about stuff. And so like, I'm not the kind who can just go to work and get a paycheck. Nothing wrong if people are like that, but just for me, like I've got to do stuff that I know matters. And what so does the Josh more say? I, Josh calls it glorious purpose. Yeah. There you go. I like yeah. that. I like that phrase. Glorious and so purpose. for me, I, I'd show up and it's like, I wanted to keep making it better and helping, but the more you tried, the more people didn't like it because questions yeah. led to like, you know, things that couldn't be answered or like holes right. and that, that just got more and more pushback. Um, and not that but you were whole, drawing attention to the toothpick tent that they had built. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, at, at this time they're also hemorrhaging people and stuff. And so I, I started applying, you know, in like late 2019, started applying around it, it you know, at, back then, like the job market was like, okay. Right. And, yeah. and I'll say like, you know, for Raleigh Durham, like, yes, it's cool that Lenovo's there. It's cool that Google cloud is, is building an office, but in general, like there's not a lot of like really cool tech, if that makes sense. It's a lot of like heavy yeah. engineering focused stuff. And so if someone like me, you know, I, I couldn't find what I wanted. And so there's a lot of people probably in that boat too, you know, when they're kind of thinking about, you know, what kind of career they want in that area. And, uh, you know, then COVID hit and no one was hiring. And so we moved out to Denver. I, uh, and I was kind of like stuck in this opportunity. It was good to have a job during that time. So I don't want to like make it frame, frame it that way. But at the same time, I think one of the things I definitely would advise people, if, if your job is like hyper toxic, um, I think there's a legitimate question to be asking, like, is it worth a paycheck if you can somehow figure out how else to get by? And because in this sense, right. I mean, it almost probably ruined my relationship, right? Like the, the one person I've, I've met who I, you know, definitely knew I wanted to marry, there was a time where we were debating, like, should we be together? Because I was just so miserable um, from yeah. like working here. I actually, I uh, had never wanted to do therapy, but I actually started therapy because of it and did that for a little bit just to try to like, I think have someone to talk to who could like understand and, you know, when we had moved out here, I, I'm not exaggerating. I think I applied to about 103 things. Um, and, like, I spent a lot. Like, it wasn't just, like, blind resume somewhere. But, like, most of the time, I, I kind of spent, like, a couple hours, like, getting everything ready to go and all this. And, and that just only fuels, when you think about it, like, your self-doubt of, like, not only did I, like, ruin kind of, like, my financial position and, and, like, career trajectory, but now, like, I can't even get out of it. And so that kind of, right. like, is, it's like this car that you're, you paid way too much for and you're underwater on. And, um, Absolutely. I, yeah, and so about 103, 104 applications of those, I kid you not, I think I got two callbacks and I got one job offer from. Yeah, and then the the one that I got a job offer from at first, I was really excited about it. It was Dish Network uh, for Sling TV, and I thought it was Rick really cool, be really fun to work on. Yeah. And then we met a friend out here who actually was a, a lawyer for them, and all they could talk about was how awful it was to work there. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, oh, great. Yeah, and I was like, this can't do this. Gotta gotta kind of hold back. 
And so kind of like started the process over, over again, really. And so that was definitely like a, a very trying time, but I'll, I'll kind of stop there because I've said a lot and we can unpack it if we no, need to. No, yeah. I wanted to ask too, because you had said, you know, while you were at the startup, you were going to give it six months and you're like, and then I got to get out. Yeah. What was that timeline like? Did you give it six months? And then as a couple, did you two decide that, okay, in order to salvage ourselves and our relationship, we have to get out? What led to y'all's move to Colorado? Yeah. So when we moved to Colorado, I was still working there. And so I, okay. I joined them um, in 2019. I gave it six months and then I, then I heavily started looking. Um, but I was actually was there for almost two years. So I did not make wow. the the six months. And so, wow. um, yeah. And uh, that was definitely like the hard part. We moved to Colorado for my, my husband's job, actually. Um, yeah. And I just basically worked remote, which was nice because then you could kind of like get away from the day-to-day office. Uh, but, you know, you still had to deal with, I think, a lot of issues, uh, even remotely. And then it actually is even harder because it's harder to collaborate and, like, get some stuff done when you're remote. Yeah, it gave you some distance, literal and metaphorically speaking. You had this dis- distance between you and the toxicity of the job, but then it made other aspects harder. So, again, it wasn't better. It was just some distance. Yeah, exactly. And because, like, all the same same crazy shit just happened, but just in a different medium is how I described. Like, I remember in the office, we had this one <laughs> but person. But now it's on Zoom. Yeah, exactly. And uh, which is in some ways can be worse. Um, but, you know, we, yeah. we're, when we were in the office, I'll never forget it. One of the uh, managers was just so cruel to their employee one time that they broke down, and, like started crying in front of everybody. And I think there's like this moment when you cry at work, which is a very normal human thing. It unfortunately just comes with a lot of like stigma of like, oh, you can't handle yes. your job. You can't handle this. Yes. And, and that's where, again, like I've kind of realized maybe there's like two things career wise, which is. Um, your happiness is not worth a paycheck, like at all. And that, that's like a very easy privilege thing to say. But I, I think the piece that I would say is you don't quit, but like, there's nothing wrong with starting to like, look around and like, see what else is out there. The worst you're going to lose is a couple hours of your time. And you might right. stand to gain like a lot. And, but if you don't look, you're not going to get it. Right. So that's kind of right. like my first thing. And the next one is, is kind of like know your truths and be able to like, uh, stand up for yourself or like have allies who will, because in this sense, uh, you know, it didn't happen. But then, like, the same stuff would happen over Zoom, where, you know, people would have, like, these, like, breakdowns because of just how hard and toxic the environment was. I'll never forget, we, um, when George Floyd happened, uh, yeah. people had asked the CEO, like, hey, we work in a lot of communities where, um, you know, people who are using our product are George Floyd, uh, so to speak. And, you know, we wanted to, like, as an employee group, wanted a statement from our company of, like, how we're, we're going to stand behind this. Yeah. We'll think about this. The CEO wouldn't do it. And so his response was, if we, um, if we do that, we should talk about the NRA, like the National Rifle Association. What? And I think our point was, you know, one of these things is not like the other, man. Like, no. you know, one is human rights and dignity. The other one is like an optional choice that probably shouldn't be one to begin with. So right. uh, just very, very different worldviews. And, and, you know, trying to navigate that over COVID was like very complicated because no one was together. And I no. think that's uh, that's where like the I think the ship really started going down because there was a lot of employee dissent, you know, coming out of that, which was great. Right. It was I mean, I I just can't imagine because I know what that time was like for myself in my line of work. But then for you all these employees who all clearly were fairly like-minded to you, right? To be like, yeah, I think we should put a statement out. This is literally our population that we serve in our community. Then I'll ask this, is the CEO a white man? Uh, yes. 
Okay. Well, yeah. there we go. Privileged, privileged white man, right? He's like, no, if I speak out about this human that is directly impacted by our services, right, or that we serve, then I now have to talk about the NRA. And you're like, what? Those two things do not go in a nice little bow together. Yeah. We can do one without the other. Now, yes, you and I both know, Alex, that they are intertwined to some degree, but like that doesn't mean the company has to talk about them both. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and the same thing happened um, at, when it came to like Pride Month again during COVID. And, you know, at first they weren't going to do it because unfortunately, like a big aspect of this was also like um, half of the company was a merger from another group, which was super religious. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But you, you can't you can't bring your religion into the workplace, but then expect no one else to bring their full self into the workplace, right. you know, which is I think a, right. it's either all or nothing in a way. And, um, a great point. And, and so that was kind of like a difficult thing to, to deal with, which was, hey, unfortunately, if you're part of like the LGBTQ plus community, like you got to like keep that under wraps. And, and so that was just where, you know, again, that kind of like toxic family idea, the idea that like everybody has to be. I was literally thinking that in my brain. I'm like, this yeah. sounds, who, who out there is screaming right now being like, that sounds like my family. <laughs> keep right, it under exactly. wraps. Yeah. And, and that's not okay. And so the notion that, you know, some people, um, regardless of what the reason are, but some people having to spend a decent portion of literally their every day, whether at home, whether at work, whatever, kind of concealing stuff, like 100% no. And I think that's where, you know, again, it's kind of, um, not every job's gonna be perfect by any means. Everything's gonna have like some type of issue, but it's like, what are those ones you're not gonna compromise on? And be cool with that because the right job will come along. I think like the piece here from me is, you know, at the super low point, applied to tons of jobs, got an out, but that out probably wasn't any better. And so it's like, if I'm gonna be moving, I wanna be like happy about this too. Versus like just running from one problem to something that who knows, it might be just as right. bad. And then it's like, man, I'm now I'm really stuck for another like two years, you know, before I can move. Um, and I think that's a big one is like kind of know how to like flesh those things out. And so for me, it's like 100% like employee to employee culture and dynamics. Like if that's like not good, I'm not into it. Um, and yeah. Yeah. What should we be looking for? Yeah. Do you, like you were saying those pieces of advice of, hey, if you're looking for a new job because your job sucks or for more professional terms here, just does not have the culture and the environment that you want that's supportive and makes you feel good. What can people do to maybe figure that out? Because a lot of companies do hide those aspects yeah. in those interviews, right? Like you, they say, oh, we're a family or they say these phrases that sound so glamorous on, on the front or on a piece right. of paper. And then you go to work and you're like, this is absolutely not what I signed up for. Yeah. Well, you know, I have one question that I, I have since devised that I think really helps with this. But before I answer, the thing I'd say is, you know, it's always healthy and good to ask for you know opinions and advice when it comes to career moves and just thinking about your career in general. But since it is so keenly, like we talked about at the beginning, like tied to your identity, I'm fully in the camp that only you kind of know what's best at the end of the day. And so you'll get like 20 different opinions from like 20 different people. Like, for example, I was talking to a friend recently. They're like a director at their current company. They got an offer, like a recruiter reached out for a senior manager position. So like a slight mm-hmm. step down at a different one. And he was just flabbergasted that this, how dare this recruiter ask him for a demotion. I'm like, well, that depends on what's important to you. Is title important to you? Or is like working at like a bigger place that you're going to have like more challenges. It may not be like a one-to-one move. And so, you know, some people care about like, Hey, I want to work at like a really big brand. And in this case, that was what this was. It was a really big brand uh, that they could have moved to, but they didn't want it. And so my my point is you as the individual know what you want, but I think the question you can ask to help you know, see some of these like red flags and it works every time, at least in my 103 that I was applying to, I only got a couple callbacks, but then when I moved to open table, way more callbacks uh, in terms of like, cause COVID back at then, it was like the employee 
crisis. People were hiring like crazy. So very different kind of halfway through COVID. And that is the, what gets in the way of getting things done here. And employees are very honest with what gets in the way. And things you kind of can watch out for is um, getting groups to like buy in or like having too long of an approval process. And you can just kind of pick up on like bureaucracy, dysfunction, uh, things like that. And I All ask those, that question like, to everybody. hidden meanings within the answers. Yeah. If they're saying, oh, it's too long to get things approved, you're like, okay, clearly like top-down chain, it's going to take a long time for me to get any decisions moved through. Am I yeah. able to deal with that? Yeah. And then, yeah, and exactly. And you can kind of reflect on yourself, like, do you care about those things? And again, yeah. none of those things are like bad on their own. I think it's like kind of what the Jenga block stack of them is, is, is what is important and kind of like what your truths are of like, hey, I'm willing to deal with bureaucracy, but I'm not willing to deal with like wild dysfunction, you know, or whatever. Um, But you have to read like in between the lines. It's like when I lived in Philly, a lot of places don't have um, AC. And I quickly realized when I was apartment hunting, the way you could tell was whenever the uh, Craigslist had you know, natural sun-filled house. Like you just knew, no AC, right? It, that it's that means no AC. Right, exactly. And so um, it's the same thing here. You kind of have to learn to like read between the, the lines on it, but it's a great yeah. question. So I, I always ask what gets in the way of getting things done. So I love that. I love that. I think everyone should take that with them. And then two, you know, maybe it's not a verbiage word for word question, but thinking about um, like for people whose priority is time off, you know, asking things like, you know, not, not just how many days do we get off, right? What's the vacation policy, but what is it like to take vacation? Yeah. How do you get that approved, right? Because we hear that from many people. They're like, oh yeah, we get 20 days vacation, but you actually can't take it on holidays and you have to do it three months in advance. And it's like, well, then who's going to use that? It's designed so nobody uses it. Yeah. And that, and then like, I think respecting time off is a big one, which is, yeah, you mm-hmm. can take it, but you better have Slack and email and all that stuff ready to go. And, oh my God. I'm an anti-Slack. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. I, I think it's, um, I, it's great in some ways, but in some ways it's like the most evil technology invented, yeah. I would say next to Facebook. I have a friend. <laughs> I, I know. Well, I have a friend who works for a company who I'm pretty sure they told her they she could never turn off notifications on it. Yeah. I was like, I'm yeah. sorry, do you live in my house? Like, do you, do you have access to me 24 seven? That is not how this works. Yeah. Well, and that's a big thing now. Like, you know, I feel like it's so it's been proven that, you know, with working from home all the time, like we actually work more, yes. we're available more often. And it's like, it's really hard to unplug, especially if you're like working from home, like 24 seven, because your home is your office. And that in my, like right now, I kind of like can't stand that factor uh, yeah. because it's like, I can't escape really and have like a sanctuary because it's like, everything just reminds me of, oh, wait, this is where I was working earlier. And that that's no yeah. fun either. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly, you know, I can imagine Josh feels my significant other because he works and then also like has his leisure time in the same space all day, every day. Um, And I know he's been looking at doing um, like the co-working spaces in downtown Raleigh or something when the weather gets warmer because it's a whole, it's a whole nother thing when you, like you said, live and work and play in the same room all day long. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I've, I've kind of resorted to like camping out at a lot of coffee shops throughout the day, uh, just cause I need like that's, that human to human yes. interaction, you know? Oh my gosh. That's one thing. So as a therapist, we don't have that luxury. We literally cannot be around other people or where anyone can hear us due to confidentiality. And so when we went virtual, I, I work at a group practice more time than I do a private practice. And at the group practice, there was like 10 of us in the office every day in our admin. So we got to see each other on our breaks. So we would catch each other in the halls. We had lunch together and we could talk and catch up. We don't have that anymore. It's all gone. I have nobody to talk to. So now I you know joined a co-working space in downtown Raleigh that is all therapists, 
physical therapist, massage therapist, all of that. So like I do have people that I can see. And then I we I actually created a Telegram thread. We no Slack Telegram. You can turn your notifications off um, for our for our, my coworkers because I was like well, we don't ever talk to each other anymore. And like I can't have a job where I'm so siloed by myself where I'm going to go insane. Yeah, I, I actually love that you found one that's like kind of unique to like the area that you're in. That's like really cool that there's mm-hmm. like other people like-minded, similar fields that you can like kind of go and like, you know, just just even be with, even if you didn't do much. Like that, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's just nice to have that space because like I go there every Friday and it, there's fitness classes going on and there's a massage therapist that comes in there and then there's two other therapists that are there with me on Fridays. So even if we don't speak in li- a literal word to each other the whole day, I know they're there and I see them. Yeah. That is helpful. Oh, totally. I mean, well, humans, and again, like, you know, yes, you have introverts and extroverts, but even if it's just like a little bit, like you still, I think there's something to be said for like being around others and kind of having yes. that opportunity to interact at least. And 100%. that actually is like a, an interesting notion is I think like, especially now, you know, when you join a company and it's like virtual, that's hard. Um, you know, something that I kind of noticed, even though I would say like open table is phenomenal in terms of its culture and stuff, but when you join like virtually, and I'm sure like this is kind of something you have thought about and like, you know, probably dozens of others listening, but, um, you, you're kind of like an outsider when you're like trying to interact with these people in terms of like, they've all worked together in person for years. Here you are, this like face on a computer screen. And even though everyone else is, you know, you don't have that, like, there's Social a foundation. Bond. Yeah. yeah like you, that, that initial bond. Exactly. And it's harder to build that because, you know, used to, you could just go to the break room. You could all go out. You could do a happy hour. Like there are ways to like build that human. Do you remember when virtual happy hours were a thing? Oh, that was, that sucked. No one ever asked for that awful. in their employee benefits. Yeah. It's like, I, <laughs> I'd rather you give me like an extra 50 bucks a month to like, just go do something on my own. <laughs> yeah. Or like, let me get off early. Our virtual yeah, happy exactly. hours, we get off at four o'clock on Thursday. Yeah. Like, that'd be great. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Those, so those are not my, my thing. So, um, oh, but you know, it's that, that notion. Then, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, nope. it's that notion. You have to kind of like develop this new set of soft skills, which is like, you know, like really working almost like dating to, to build relationships, I, you know, cause if you don't, I think it's really, it's like easy, like disassociate, uh, be like in a virtual setting and it just kind of just makes your job feel less real and feel less like yes. connected to you. So, yeah. Well, like you said, the people aren't real, you know, I yeah. know many people that have started comp, not companies, probably companies, but started working at companies that are virtual or they're always going to work remote forever. Like Josh is at one. So I can 100% imagine he can attest to, he literally had to humanize his coworkers enough and give them a story and a background and talk to these people so that they weren't, like you said, just figures in a screen that when he turns the computer off, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. And it's like interesting because I think some of the companies that are all virtual will never do this or even the ones who go virtual. But, you know, think about how much gets spent on like office space. It's like outrageous, especially when you think about companies going to like the fancy towers downtown or like, you know, wherever. Um, but if you don't have that, you like absolutely should be thinking of ways to have like awesome company retreats for people, like really bringing people together, like kind of like, like this whole like global or even like national level type thing. Um, and so the notion that you can like basically get rid of all of the benefits that do make an office great, probably not pay people as much and then not actually do anything with it to like foster that sense of not family, but like there is definitely a sense of like community aspect, I would say, yeah. um, it is really important. So I know that in the therapy world, because we don't have that, like happy hours for therapists, not a huge thing. Um, you know, anything that encourages any form of like substance drinking or substance use in therapeutic worlds is probably not as condoned. But right, but there are so many Facebook groups that have actually opened up over the last two years with COVID of national 
therapists, like, or statewide therapists, they do retreats now. The people that run these groups, there's just one in Ireland that just happened. And so it's for people that work in private practice who don't get to see other people. And so everyone's a therapist. Everyone, you know, abides by the HIPAA laws and rules that they have to follow. But this is a way for them to, like, have colleagues that you get to know and see and talk to that understand your life because we don't have that option otherwise. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. I, I didn't know that was, that was a thing, but it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I would really do feel like, I'm sure it existed pre-COVID, but it's way more prominent now oh, of doing imagine. these like therapeutic retreats with other therapists. Yeah. I even see like on Instagram, there's, um, I, I haven't decided like why you need this, but I guess it could be fun, but it's like monthly subscriptions to communities like here in like the Denver area that do um, like hiking or camping or like different retreats in the mountains or whatever, just like very, very interesting like concept, but it's, it's definitely like all the rage, I would say like some way to like oh. go and find others um, who want to do like the same thing. And there's like always been meetup, but I feel like that just that's like, that's even better though. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. like a step further than meetup. Yeah. 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 So I love that. So how are you today? You said you love working for Open Table. So how are things today? Yeah, t- today is like is much better, right? So like I said, I, I ended up doing therapy. I, I had like a, a big stigma against it for the longest time. Uh, and I hope it's okay to like just be totally transparent with that. Because I, I think I, since 100%. I lost my mom to mental illness, you know, to me, it was like, if I go to therapy, I'm like my mom, even though it's like totally not yeah. true, right? I've, I've obviously but like... it's un- not unreasonable for you to think that. So yeah. many people think that. Yeah. And so uh, that was like a big, a big step, but it, it did help a lot because it helped me realize too of like, okay, I'm not like overreacting or like being like, uh, I think irresponsible in how I'm thinking and responding to this. And so it's more about, you know, just like we were saying, like, what, do, what matters at the end of the day, is it going to be like my happiness? And I'm just going to kind of just deal with it. Or is it like, Hey, like I need to kind of take those steps and like figure it out. And so o- open table worked out. It's been a phenomenal ride. I think the part that I still wanted um, is, you know, you, again, like talking about like, those big career bets, those big changes, harder times across the board, you know, for my partner and I, and just me, like as mm-hmm. myself, you know, kind of how do you know, like when you've reached that new, like self-actualization. And so that's kind of the piece I've been going through as it relates to that. But I think that's also where like learning about things outside of work that were really important to me, like the volleyball aspect. I mean, that's probably like the one thing I look forward to the most during the week now is, is yeah. going and like seeing my team playing against all these different people, meeting new people, um, and like kind of having that like totally different like social outlet, you know, as well as like being able to escape into the mountains. Like we do snowboarding on the weekends, which is like super fun um, yeah. and like very different than like living in North Carolina. Um, but it's <laughs> just going to go snowboard there, for two hours. I'll be back. Yeah. Right. But my point there is not that you have to like live around those things, but I think it's like being able to find like what are things that can bring you like that happiness that you hadn't tried before. I, I think like my my life advice now is probably um, you know, do anything, but let it bring you joy. And, you know, sometimes you're gonna have to like take chances, make mistakes and get messy to do that. But it's, it's really cool. I love that. Say that one more time, your quote. Yeah. Uh, do anything, but let it bring you joy. I love that. So yeah. Walt Whitman. Yes. Yeah. Walt Whitman. Yeah. Great, great, great uh, poet. If you've never read his stuff. I love that. I think that's such a good piece of advice, especially with how I think people have been feeling lately. I don't know if, like you said, you're not huge on social media, but there's been quite a few memes or images going around that are, you know, trying to to capture the feeling that's been going around for January. So if you're familiar that everyone's just been really down and burnt out, I mean, we're in the third year of a pandemic that we thought would be over in six weeks and everyone's exhausted. And so that piece about you can do anything just as long as it brings you joy, do that. And and that's like where, you know, social is like really interesting in this, uh, which is, you know, I feel like it's um, very easy to broadcast your your wonderful highlights for everybody to see, but you don't kind of show those like messy outtakes. 
And um, there was like a funny like meme I was reading, which is, you know, it's like somebody at the beach and it's beautiful and they posted it to Instagram. And it's like, you know, I just wanted to share this in case where you're at isn't nearly as beautiful. And like, that's like, there is like kind of this weird concept, I think, when it comes to social love, you like inherently want people to, to love what you're doing and probably feel like a little bad about, you know, what their, their pieces are. And so that's where it, I think it's, um, you know, how can we instead like look to bring others together uh, versus like this aspect of like, oh, it's kind of like all about me, um, if that makes sense. But Yeah, it does make sense. And again, yeah, so you said it, I think, very well that social media is a highlight reel. You know, and then there are those accounts that you can seek out that do share realness. I mean, hello, that's the whole premise of this podcast. But, you know, those are few and far between. You have to find them and you've got to make the effort to seek them out and you've got to pay attention to them. But most of the time, what we end up comparing ourselves to are these people's highlight reels, which also could be very fake. There are so many times that I've heard of someone like posting a picture of a sunset and a beautiful caption and their life is miserable. Oh yeah, we 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 had one kind of like that, which was when we first moved out here. It was it was really hard to to make meet uh, meet people like organically because uh, everything was closed, so you can't meet people at bars. Yeah. Um, most of the sports weren't running, so you couldn't do that yet. And so I didn't know what to do, so I, I felt embarrassed about it. But it actually wasn't like the worst decision ever. But we downloaded like Bumble BFF, and my partner I started, yeah. started using that to meet people, which I, I would totally oh, yeah. recommend. It was actually like really really fun, and actually met some really really cool people that way. Uh, but my favorite though was uh, I matched with this person whose partner was a social media influencer. When I say that, like an actual social media influencer, like like a legit they, one. They got paid to do this. They got paid to do to do stuff. And I had never yeah. even known, I, I've known tons of friends who think they're influencers, which is always kind of cute and funny, <laughs> but this person legitimately got sponsor deals. And the first time we, or the second time we hung out with them, they were like, oh, let's do a taco night. You know, we'll, we'll like bring over everything. It'll be great. They didn't mention that it would be a sponsored taco night. And I think we probably spent the first 45 minutes taking all of these ridiculous photos that yes, looked really cool, but like they weren't real. And so like, you know, it was like the, the margarita cheers took like 20 outtakes to get like the right boomerang for it. You know, of course, oh my like, God. By by the then, end of it, you're like, I'm going to throw this freaking margarita at your face. Oh yeah. hundred percent. By then like the ice was melted. The tacos were cold. And I was like, this, <gasps> this experience is not good. <laughs> So yeah, it's so, after- so frustrated. You get to see the the behind the scenes of what they do. Oh, totally. And like, I think um, fakeness is definitely like, I think probably coming from uh, the company I was at, like fakeness is not for me. It's like, you see what you get and Hey, I think that's great in terms of however it comes, like come as you are, like, that's wonderful. But the notion to like dress it up, no way. And so uh, long story short, that, that, that uh, Bumble BFF match didn't work out, but oh well. <laughs> no, we're not fun. BFFs with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Do you look at those, if you do get on Instagram, do you look at those sponsored ads or those pictures differently now because you know what it took to get them? Oh, hundred percent. Like, in fact, um, there was, there was all these Instagram accounts that I fell in love with over the course of like COVID that were just like funny outtakes, like spoofing Insta, uh, like influencers on Instagram. In fact, one of them is like really great. It's called haters. And all he okay. does is his name is like Hayden. So like haters and all he does is spoof influencers, but then he started selling stuff. And I was like, no, this is like anti the point. Now he's an influencer. Exactly. And I was like, ah, oh, man, it crushed my heart. So, but I, I do think about it differently. I always kind of wonder like, you know, how real is, is what I'm seeing versus like just totally manufactured. You know, I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I'm going to wager it's pretty much always manufactured. Yeah. How many outtakes did you have to get yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. And cold um, tacos. So, right. And filters. My, yeah. I had my hair done on Thursday and I was like, I'm going to get pink hair because I'm turning 30 and it's February. And so I show my hairdresser a picture and hairdressers hate that, right? Because what did they tell you? The picture is fake. They're like, we have no idea if that's real. 
that's probably a filter. I have no idea what they put in their hair unless you go to someone's account who literally lays out like, I did this to this person's hair and use this, this, and this. So they're like, we can get you close to that, but we have no idea like what that actually is. We don't yeah, trust I never it anymore. That. that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like the whole deep fake or like deep fake thing with you know people's faces and voices. There's a really good one from last year where this company made like a robot AI that could mimic the Queen of England. And they put out like a fake speech to like prove like, hey, you should like second guess things. It's actually really good. I, I would totally recommend it. I think it's if you just type in like Queen of England deep fake video, it, it's pretty, oh, no. pretty fascinating. Yeah. What a rabbit hole. Every, no one's going right. to believe anything ever. I mean, I guess no, that's how exactly. it should be on the internet, but yeah. oh my God, too funny. Alex, you are, so you already gave us your piece of advice, lots of good advice and job advice. So I'm very grateful for that. You said things are great in Colorado. Things are great at work. I'm so glad to hear that. But I love that you shared about a time when work wasn't so great because especially I think in this day and age when work maybe isn't that it's hard to come by, but you know, people need jobs. Money's really important right now. We've had COVID for the last couple of years. I don't think people talk about toxic work environments. Maybe they talk about them more than we used to, but we still don't talk about them enough and how damaging they can be to your own self-worth and self-value. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a big deal because I think there's like this almost expectation that you just have to like grin and bear it at work. And I would say that, you know, that's like a very outdated, like almost what our parents would would say. Yeah. And that there's it's absolutely worthwhile to explore. Like, I think everybody probably has different levels of what they're cool with. And and that's totally fine. But I think being able to like figure out what that is, 100%. Like I, a couple people that I've worked with at that company have, have moved on or, or are now looking to move on. And they're, they're kind of scared too. And my, my biggest advice is always like explore and see see what's out there because you have no idea until you start. And like, even if you do it and decide it's not for you, you've wasted a couple hours. And it's like, that's totally worth it if it's your happiness in the end. And I'll say like, you know, it, it's not that everything is like, you know, ponies and rainbows. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's my point is sticking it out and like fighting is a big one. You know, like, I think for me, there were so many times where I wanted to like retreat and go back to, to GSK, which I probably could have done. But I was like, no, I like set out to do this for a reason. I still believe the reason's like a good one. I just maybe didn't make the right choice in the beginning. And I think that's like totally fine because if, if we could all make the right choices the first time around, you know, I think life would just be like too easy and very different. We'd have lottery tickets that we'd win and all that kind of stuff. But um, yes. I think like being able yes. to like, you know, care about yourself enough to where you can stick through it is that's a, that's the big one. Um, I think that is my biggest lesson in that. I love that. I want to end with that. Care about yourself enough to see it through and stick through it and to keep trying, right? Yeah, One more 100%. day, keep yeah. going. Yeah, because as you said, you'll never know. And if we knew everything the first time we did it, God, what a different world we would live in. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. But that's part of what makes the world beautiful in a way is all the mistakes, so. Yes, yes. And what do we what do we know? Some people say that failure will always feel better than regret. Mm, I like that, very true. Right, you'll never know. It only, you know, you can only do as, as good as you knew how to do at the time. We could just sit here and just be a book of words of advice. Right. There you go. <laughs> a little spinoff that. podcast. Anyway, yes. There we go. <laughs> um, Alex, thank you very much for taking time on this Sunday and for talking with me and for sharing a piece of your life. And it's so good to hear that things are going so well now. And whatever journey that you take next job-wise, I really hope that it's even better than the one you're at at Open Table. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate that. It was super great to connect and share. And I, I hope, you know, people are benefited. And I, I love the work that you're doing with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So as I always say, please make sure you take care of yourself today and beyond today. Thank you, Alex. Thanks. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and follow us on social media at I've Been Better dot pod.